Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. I want to talk to you today about Jesus, our great high priest. And I'm sure that's exciting you to hear that. And it will, at the end, you'll be very excited. The book of Hebrews is a revelation of what Jesus did from the death at the cross, taking our sin to the resurrection, the ascension, and now showing us what Jesus is doing in heaven on our behalf. A lot of Christians don't know that Jesus is actively at work in heaven, working on our behalf. And, and it's like this, that for, for what Jesus is doing in heaven to work, we have to understand it and we have to agree with it. The Bible says in Walter references that the promises of God are yes and amen. What does that mean? The yes is God saying, yes, this is my intention. And we say, amen. amen. Let it be to me according to your word. It's yes and amen. Believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. God has done an amazing work. Jesus is working on our behalf in heaven, but it is in one sense, entirely ineffectual unless we understand it and we believe it and confess it. We have to take a hold of what Jesus is doing on our behalf. That's why some Christians succeed and some don't. Some understand and confess and get a revelation, others don't. So today I'm going to unpack to you some of the things that Jesus is doing in heaven on our behalf as the great high priest. So have you got Hebrews 4? Verse 14, this will be incredibly helpful and practical today. There's the thought. <laughs> Hebrews 4.14, seeing then, so you've got to see this, you've got to get this in your mind. We have, this is you today, the moment you're born again, you have a great high priest. That represents, that's Jesus who represents us before the Father. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, to agree with what Jesus is saying and doing in heaven. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Anyone got a weakness? Anyone had any trouble this week? Is it only me? We have a great high priest in heaven that is acquainted and understands that we're frail and weak in so many areas. We struggle as we're seeking to break through. He gets it. And he was in all points tempted as we. So every temptation, every trouble, every trial that you go through, he's been through it and conquered it and has the answer for it. Does that excite anybody? He went through all this yet without sin. Let us then... Therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace. The whole point of the new covenant, the whole point of salvation is to give you access to God, to give you confidence before God. So you can stand before God in your prayer time, in, the, in, in your general day, and understand I have total confidence before God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. I am clean, forgiven, free, and I have absolute access to God 24-7. That's the role of the new covenant, is to give every believer 
absolute confidence before God. Does that excite anybody? It excites me. So let's come before the throne of grace so we may obtain or receive something. So every time we come before God and picture Jesus in our mind, representing us before the Father, we can receive something from him. So we would receive mercy and find or discover grace to help us in our time of need. So we can go before Jesus and receive everything that we need for our success. Now I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 28. Verse 1, this is a, an account of the high priest in the Old Testament. And the, whole, the, old, the, uh, the high priest was dressed in a certain array. Do we have a picture of that high priest, Michael, that we could just put up before the scripture? And this high priest was dressed, there were some say seven, some say eight different aspects to the garment. And every part of this garment represented the ministry of Jesus in heaven on our behalf. I know it looks a bit odd. You don't see too many people wearing those clothes today. But you need to understand this was a very specific garment that was designed in the mind of God and created by the Israelites for the high priest to wear as he went before the Lord on behalf of the people. And, and Jesus is in heaven today and he may not be wearing those clothes but he functions in the same capacity on our behalf. Do you understand that? Yeah. And every one of those pieces of those garments represent the mind of Jesus towards us today. So if we go back to Exodus 21, 28 verse 1. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as a priest. And you will make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. All these garments represent the perfections of Jesus towards us. Verse 4, And the garments you will make will be a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they will make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that they may minister to me as a priest. Now down to verse 9. So these seven pieces these seven pieces of the garment are all representations of what Jesus does for us. Now, verse 9, And you will take two stones and engrave on the stones the names of the sons of Israel. Not in chalk, so it could be washed out with water, but engrave it so they will be permanently etched in these stones. Did you hear that? The moment you get born again, the moment Jesus comes into your life, your name is etched, etched, permanently etched in the stone and placed upon the shoulders. Wow. You're getting this? Yeah. Six names on one stone and six names on the other in order of their birth. So from the, the youngest born again believer to the oldest, we are all etched into the very heart of God. This see, today your name is before the Father. Jesus is, imagine that, he's carrying your name on his shoulders. Shoulders is a picture of strength and security. He's carrying you, permanently etched before the Father. See, when I first got born again, I thought I was in and out like a Brussels sprout. I thought, you know, when I sinned, I was out. 
And every, every week I was getting saved. It was great. I tell people it's great for stats. We had lots of people saved this year. A hundred people saved. No, it was Andrew saved a hundred times. <laughs> and every week I'd come out, they'd sing a song. It, it pricked my heart. The song was called Just As I Am Without One Plea. And it had this really emotive sound to it. And, and I'd find my legs taking me out to the front to get born again again. And nobody had the, had the nous to tell me there's something wrong with your theology, young man. You are a child of God. I was coming to become a child again. So these names are etched, it says, in settings of gold so they can't move. And you'll put two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stone for the sons of Israel, secure and kept by the power of God. What an amazing thought that you are secure in him. See, I grew up and a lot of the preaching was to make you eternally insecure. Let's keep the people insecure. That will make great Christians. Yeah, it didn't work. In fact, a lot of the people I grew up with no longer go to church anymore. Insecure believers make really unfruitful believers. Now, don't stone me yet, okay? Yeah. Isaiah 32, 17 says, The work of righteousness is peace and the effect of righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, we'll talk about this hopefully next week in detail. But when, I, when we talk about righteousness, it's not ours, but we have what the Bible calls an imputed righteousness. His very nature is given to me. So when they, when they put their hands on the, sh on the rams, the sheep, in the Old Testament, when, when they would come with, with an offering, a sin offering, you would bring your sheep to the tabernacle, you would put your hands on this perfect lamb without blemish, and he would take all your sin, and you would get, as a picture, all his righteousness. It was a picture of what Jesus would do. You would get his nature and he will take on your nature at the cross. So when God looks at me, he's not looking at my behavior. He's not looking at whether I got it right during the week. He's looking at the perfect, obedient nature of Jesus without sin. And I get that nature given to me. I have that imputed into my spirit. Perfect, clean, free from accusation. And the devil wants to accuse me every day. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that last year. I, I meet people years later that I did things to them that I shouldn't have when I was a kid. And the devil's constantly, you remember what you did? No, I don't. Free from accusation. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed all our sin. Clean, pure, spotless. So we can come before God and you know what? When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Is anyone excited about that? John 10, 28 says, I, Jesus said, I give you eternal life. I give eternal life to them. And they will never, ever perish. And nobody can snatch them out of my hand. Did you hear that? We often have more faith in our ability to stay saved than his ability to keep us. He's the one that holds us in his hand. You're not so clever that you found your way here today and, and you made it. You know, we have this, this statement. When did you find Jesus? Oh, actually, I didn't. He found me. He saved me. He grabbed me. I responded to his, his 
He's coming to me. He holds me. My security is in not, not in my obedience. My security is in his obedience and his love and devotion to me, not mine to his, to him. If our salvation hinges on anything but his finished work, then I'm going to, if I have to do anything to maintain my salvation, then it's going to be awfully difficult to have assurance. And that's why for the first number of years as a believer, I was totally insecure because my salvation in my mind was all about me and not about him. And my Bible tells me that he has etched my name in a stone that sits on his shoulder and his strength is going to give me security, not my strength. He holds me firm. Those stones were, were embedded in, in, in a golden class and placed upon the shoulder where they could not be moved. I don't know if it encourages you, but I heard Joseph Prince just recently preach on salvation and grace. And he says, even to this day, I need to go back and remind myself of the power of eternal salvation that makes me secure. Everything I do is rooted in the revelation that I am secure in Him. And when I find myself restless or striving or anxious about my future, I need to go back and remind myself it is of God. It's His work. He makes me secure. Faithful is He who called me who also will do it. He does, if He doesn't get it right in salvation, then He doesn't get it right in anything. If He does the work in salvation, He will do it in everything. Yeah. It's his work. Yes. Hebrews 10:14 says, "By one sacrifice, say one sacrifice. one sacrifice." So you don't have to do any more. You don't have to sacrifice, you don't have to whip yourself, you don't have to pray and fast. You don't have to do anything to be forgiven except believe. One sacrifice. One sacrifice. He has made you perfect forever. By one sacrifice, he has made you perfect forever. Perfect forever by one sacrifice. You stand before God today perfect forever because of what Jesus did at the cross. And there is nothing that you can do or say that can ever improve your standing before God. Yes, we will grow in our faith. Yes, our soul will be transformed. But your salvation, your position as a son and daughter of God is secure and permanent and lasting and perfect today. It will never get any better. You'll get to heaven. You won't have a greater standing. You won't be more holy. You won't be more perfect than you are the moment you get born again. You are perfect and clean. You may not behave like a perfect, clean son, but it's not your righteousness. It's his. He's not looking at your behavior to ascertain whether you're perfect. He's looking at the behavior of his son, and you are in Christ Jesus. He looks at the sun. Remember, I wrote in my book, The Gospel Calling to Noah, that when Esau and Jacob, and Jacob comes to, to his father Isaac and he's covered in the clothing of his brother. And Isaac says, it smells like Esau. He was covered in another garment. Even though it wasn't him, he came in another garment 
and he got the blessing. And it's the same for us. We, we clothe ourselves in Christ and we become before our Father and he sees us, not as who we are, but clothed in the garment of Christ. And he says, you know what? Because of that, I will bless you. I'm not blessing you because you got it right. That's called self-righteousness. It's dead works. If you have more confidence to come before God today because you've had a good week, that's religion. Your confidence isn't in your behavior. Your confidence is in Jesus and what he did for you. So I, again, growing up, I used to watch people not take communion. I think, why didn't they do that? And, and, and you know, I talked to them later on and discovered they had had a bad week. Really? And so a good week qualifies you and a bad week doesn't. It's the mindset of believers. We have confidence that God will bless us and take favor on us and love us because we've been good. That is called religion. He blesses you because of Jesus. You were united with Christ, Romans 6.2. You were made a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You were given... A new nature that's God's perfect nature, Ephesians 4.23. As I read before, Hebrews 10.14, you were made perfect forever. Hebrews 7.23 says that Jesus saves you to the uttermost. 2 Corinthians 1.21, he's put his seal of ownership on you. And Romans 11.29 says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Did you hear that? The gifts of eternal life, the gifts that God gives you are irrevocable. He doesn't say, you're a son, you're not a son. You're a son, you're out. See, he says, if you being earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will I? My kids have bad days, but they're still my children. Right, you're out. (laughs) Next. No, they are my children because they carry my DNA. They will always be my kids. Yes? Eternally secure. In the old covenant, the covenant was cut between God and man. You do this and I'll bless you. If you don't do that, I'll whack you. And they said, we can do that. What a silly thought. They should have said, that's too hard. We know what's inside us. We'll always mark up. The new covenant is cut between God and Jesus. Prefigured under Abraham. When God cut the covenant with Abraham, which was a picture of what he would do in Christ... He cut the covenant between himself and Jesus. He put Abraham to sleep. He said, go to sleep. When you wake up, the job will be done. So Abraham later on takes his son up to offer him as a picture of Jesus. And God said, thank you for that, but I'll take over now and I'll provide the ram. His name is Jesus. The old covenant between me and God, the new covenant between God and Jesus, I'll take the new. Won't you? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I wrote about this in the Gospel according to Noah. And I was writing about the ark and how on the ark they covered it with tar on the inside and out. And tar was a picture of the mercy seat that we are covered inside and out. So the boat's a picture of our life made of wood. The tar is a picture of the covering of Jesus. And the tar enabled the boat to float above the judgment, which is the flood. So the moment you get born again, you are covered by God. Even though you're frail and we make bad choices and we sin and we do all sorts of things, we are covered by Christ. 
And that enables us to float up above the judgment. Do you hear that? And I say here, there are no leaks in our boat. Amen? Amen. No sinking into performance. For we are in Christ. We are watertight, leak-proof, and born to float. Above all the condemnation and lies of the devil, God shut Noah inside the ark safe and secure and shut out all the judgment from coming in. Have you got a leaky boat today? As soon as Noah, his family, and the animals entered the ark in obedience to God's command, God shut the door. And when God shuts something, there's no man, no demon, no sinful action that can ever reopen the door. The moment you are in the ark, you are safe and secure. God shut the door and you can't get out. And no judgment can ever get in. Your salvation is assured because of what Jesus did at the cross. Amen. I like that. Hebrews 10:11 says every priest stands ministering every day offering the same sacrifice which can never take away sin why because the blood of bulls and goats can't get rid of sin that they're a picture of what Jesus would do but they don't have a nature that can cause us to be obedient a bull is a bull they were a picture of what Jesus would do he would shed his blood but he would also give us his nature he would transform he would make us a son But this man, verse 12 of Hebrews 10, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. So by this one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. See, your victory over Satan, waiting for his enemies to be made your footstool, our authority over the enemy is in proportion to our revelation that we have been perfected. You will never have authority over the devil if you don't understand your eternal security in him. He will always undermine it. And listen carefully. The moment you get into self-righteousness as a vehicle for your blessing and authority, you are finished. Did you hear that? The moment you think, I've prayed, I've fasted, which are all good things. But the moment you use that as the basis for your answer, rather than the obedience of Jesus and that you are in him and you are coming to God as a son and daughter, the moment you let that go and you come on your own standing, your prayers are powerless. The whole essence of the gospel is to give us confidence before the Lord. Here we go, Hebrews 10, 15. The Holy Spirit is witnessing to us today. This is what he's saying. This is a covenant I will make with them in those days. I will put my laws in their heart and I'll, in their minds I will write them. Holy Spirit, the moment, you get, the moment you get born again, he comes inside you and he begins to change you from the inside out. Religion changes you from the outside in. Religion wants to dress you up, rip off the makeup, take out the fag and try and make all these these external (laughs) modifications. I grew up in churches like that. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't go out with girls that chew gum, don't go barn dancing, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But it's okay to have silly thoughts inside your head. It's okay to have all these things inside, but make sure you look like a believer. That's a dressed up prostitute. That, that's, that's not what God is. 
God transforms us from the inside out. That's the gospel. He says, I will write my law in their hearts and their minds. I will change them from the inside out. And I remember having new believers come into our church and well-meaning people wanting to change them because they were living together in sin. And what, what used to really upset them is these same people would come out the front and they would get baptized in the Holy Ghost and pray in tongues. Yet everyone in the church knew that they were, they were, they were living together and they weren't married. Now, I don't say that's a good thing to do. In fact, it's not God's intention. But God changes people from the inside out, not the outside in. He didn't say, well, get all your life cleaned up, then I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. No, it's about the righteousness of God coming in us. And those people began to change as the laws written on the inside began to work out. I said to the people, let God do his work. He will change them from the inside out. You put on external laws, you will kill them. The spirit is life. The flesh brings death. Then he said, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So when the devil says, remember what you did, you say, no, the Holy Spirit has amnesia. He cannot remember what I did. And I'm in agreement with him. I am perfect and clean. It is like I never sinned. I have no past. I only have a present and future. Therefore... Let us have boldness, verse 19, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By what? By the blood of Jesus. We come before God not based on what we did, but based on the sacrifice of Jesus. He said, I'll take your sin on the cross and you'll get my righteous nature. It'll be a, it'll be a transfer. We'll get the good end of the deal. He'll take away our sin before God and we'll stand before God like Jesus. That's what gives you confidence before God. Not your works. Our righteous before God's like filthy rags. In fact, he says, you know what? If you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of them all. Yeah. You go, well, I've had a perfect week. I say, really? Yeah, I haven't murdered. I haven't done this. I haven't. You know, if, if you do one sin, you've broken all the law in the old covenant. Yeah. That's the deal. The standard is perfection. That's why when we read the Gospels, a lot of Christians don't read the Gospels properly. It's not the new covenant. New covenant begins in Acts. In the gospel, Jesus is ramping up. He preaches the law to the righteous and grace to those that are bound and oppressed. So that's why he comes to the woman in adultery and speaks grace to her because she's broken and she needs a saviour. He comes to the Pharisees and he preaches the law to them to raise up righteousness. And he says, you know what? No matter how good you are, it'll never be good enough. God's not looking at your behavior. He wants the behavior of Jesus implanted in you. Only he can change you. Amen? Okay. Now turn to John 4, 23. I'm just warming up. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You came to worship today and I pray that you came in spirit and in truth. And I pray that you understand what that means. For they are the kind of worshippers that God is seeking. So you don't come in today and go, oh, I've got confidence to worship you today because I've nailed this week. I've read my Bible. I've prayed. i put some money in the offering plate. I haven't been too mean to my wife. I've got confidence to say, you are a good, good father. I worship you. He says, no, he's seeking those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. From our spirit to his spirit. 
not from the standing of the flesh, but from the standing of the spirit. What he means by worship in spirit and truth is that you come before him based on your position, not your condition. That you come before him as a spirit person, a spirit standing that says, I am righteous because of Jesus. That's what it means to worship in spirit. It's not some sort of Holy Spirit, you know, flag-waving event. It's not saying that. It's not some sort of super spiritual thing. It's not emotive. It's from a spirit standing that my confidence is because of what Jesus did. I worship in spirit and in truth or reality. Jesus is the reality of why I worship. I worship because my confidence is on his ability to keep me clean and pure despite how I live. In light of this, Romans 8, 8 makes sense. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We think that means those in the flesh, right? It means I've been gambling this week or, you know, um, you know, I smoked a cigar, so I'm in the flesh, I can't please God. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means I've come before God based on my own ability and confidence. Yeah. That's what the flesh means. I have confidence before you because I've nailed it this week. He says, those of the flesh cannot please God. But you are not of the flesh, but you're in the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. Paul is saying you come before God based on spirit standing or nothing. It's based on Jesus alone. And that's why every believer should come to the church or whenever they worship with absolute confidence because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. His work is complete and finished. There should never be a day that you don't have confidence before God. And if there is, you've come in the flesh. Philippians 3.3 We are those who serve God by the Spirit who boast in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Did you hear that? We boast in Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The devil wants you to put confidence in the flesh. Your works. We, Paul says our confidence is in Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. To be introspective is to be focused on your condition. I'm wary of, of prayer people, and there's a place for this, but who become too introspective. You know, If you get ministered to and they want to go all inside you and find out all the rooms... There's a place, I guess, for that, but I'm wary of becoming too introspective. I, I want to become, I, I want to have a perspective of Jesus. I am transformed by looking at him. Walter spoke today about looking in the mirror from glory to glory. The more I look at Jesus, the more I'm transformed. The more I look at myself, the more I become depressed. And you wonder why some people that have prayer ministry become depressed, because they keep looking at themselves. And it's a, it's a hole that we can't get out of. Look to Jesus. That's why Moses put the brazen serpent up there when they were bitten by snakes. And he put up a serpent, which was a picture of Jesus, who would take on the curse of the world. And he said, look to the serpent and live. When we look at Jesus, who took our sin, we live. Position is my status. Condition is my state. My position is secure. And he's changing me. I start forgiven. I start fully qualified and then Jesus begins to transform me from glory to glory. Condition does not improve my position. My condition will never, ever, ever improve my, my position. My child, it doesn't matter how good or bad that child is, it will always become my child. You can't become more of a child. 
If you're a good boy today, you'll be more of a son. They think you're crazy. So why do we think that way? Why do we think our condition improves our position, our confidence before God? <laughs> you can bless me today, Lord. And then we have a bad day and things go wrong and we somehow join the, we want to join the dots. Well, God's angry at you today. What have you done wrong? Bizarre behavior, isn't it? Well, I know you've read the Bible and many of you have found a number of scriptures that make you think that you can lose your salvation. And I just want to say to you today, number one, you need to read those scriptures properly and get the context. You need to get the whole broad outline of what Paul is saying, particularly in Hebrews, and understand the context of who he's writing to. You can't have two gospels. You can't have a gospel that says you are perfect and cleansed and all your sins are forgiven. And I hear preachers preach this, and in the same context, they preach, but if you sin, you can lose your salvation. It's either one or the other. You're either forgiven and secure, or you're not. Either, either our confidence before God is in Jesus' sacrifice, or it's not. And I say to these same preachers, well, how many sins do you have to sin before you're out? How do you know? What's the cutoff point? Have you ever met a Christian that's out? We're, right. That last lollipop was the deciding factor. You're out. It's crazy. We're in Christ. Christ has eternal life. So you'd have to take us out of Christ, pull us down out of heaven because we're seated with him, bury us in the grave, then pull us back on the cross, take us off the cross, and return us to our old state. We are united with Christ in an eternal life, yes. sealed by the Holy Ghost. Yes. People, you tell people that, they'll sin. You know, I, I had preachers tell me, if you preach that in your church, you'll have an outbreak of sin. Now, to God's faithfulness, we've had no outbreak of sin. The more secure people get, the more they love Him. Right. I've never met a child secure that said, oh, great, oh, now I'm secure. I'm going to really rub my father's nose in it now. And make No, no, the more secure a son and daughter, the more they love, the more they honour, the more they want to be with you. It's just nonsense. It's religious trash that teaches that you make someone secure and it's a thin edge of the wedge. They'll be, oh, now I'm secure. I can do what I like. You know what? Here's the deal. When I'm in my deepest sin, I need the security of God to pull me out. I need to know that, like the prodigal son, there's a father waiting for me with his arms open. Oh, no, 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 no. You've committed the unpardonable sin. No, his hands are out there waiting to embrace him. He's with me. Sin doesn't separate us from God. He's with me. He comes looking for me. If I have to use my own energy to get out of my sin, I'm in trouble. I need a God that will come and rescue me and love me and say, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can make your bed in hell or in heaven, a good day or a bad day. Sorry, good day, bad day. And I'm with you. I'm with you. Jeremiah 31 says, Your sins I will remember no more. Well, that's just the ones you confess. Well, Colossians 2 says that when we were dead in sin... So when Jesus died in the cross, we're all dead in sin. He, he's, he has no time, past, present, future. 
He did it for all mankind. He says, when we were dead in sin, God made us alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, when Jesus died, you weren't born. Just a little thought there. And at the cross, he forgave you all your sins, past, present, and future. Forgiveness, a lot of Christians don't understand this. Forgiveness is about a debt. Matthew 6, forgive us our debts. So when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. That Greek word literally means when you write on an account, paid in full. Colossians 2.14 says that at the cross, he nailed the, hand, the requirements that are against us. He, he paid it in full. Our debt was cancelled, Colossians 2.14 says, at the cross. Paid in full. You are forgiven. Did you hear that? Yep. Did you get that? Forgiveness is about a debt. So every time you ask God to forgive you, you're saying, would you please repay the debt that you already paid? He said, I paid that. You received that payment when you put your faith in me. I paid that debt at the cross. So, so what else do you want? Oh, forgive me again, Lord. I, I have forgiven. I paid the debt. I, yeah, but but I've, I've, I've mucked up. Yeah, but my payment covered past, present, future. That's why Paul the Apostle never ever says that you should ask for forgiveness. Not once. Such a critical thing that the church goes on and on about. Paul the great apostle never once says, go before God and confess your sins. Never. It says we confess our sins one to another. We have a different relationship this way. That's to maintain relationship between people. Our relationship with God is permanently fixed the moment we're born again. Well, what should we do with our sins? Good question. We should repent. We should change our mind. We should come before God when he shows us things we're doing wrong and say, Lord, I repent. Repenting is like repent, like going up to the penthouse, going up to a higher view, beginning to see our choices the way God sees us. See, God's not so focused in sin. He's focused in our position. He thinks that if he gets us in him, thinking like him, sin will be taken care of. God hasn't got a fixation with sin. Sin will kill you. God doesn't like sin, but his focus is not on eradicating sin. His focus is on bringing us into him. And then sin is dealt with. So isn't it interesting? We're, we're scribed on his shoulders, fixed. How's that? Nobody can steal me out of, no one can steal you out of my hands. You're fixed. Amen? Amen. And we should be happy about that. Yeah. All right, now let's have a look at this picture. Why do you think the Jews kept following Paul everywhere he went? Because this is the gospel he was preaching, preaching Christ crucified. And they hated him with a passion. He was challenging the very spirit of religion and made, made them furious, so furious they pursued him. Men took a vow. We will not eat or drink until this man is dead. They all died. <laughs> See on his head, he has a turban with a gold plate on the turban. And that turban, that gold plate says these words, holiness unto the Lord. On the mind of Jesus is this concept of holiness. And again, many of the church have no idea because of religion of, about what the, the concept of holiness truly is. Here's the thing about holiness. You don't try to be holy because you already are holy. Hebrews 10.10, 10, you were made holy 
through the sacrifice of Jesus once for all. Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. Holiness is the very thing of coming into God himself. That's what makes us holy. We were chosen in him. Separation from God is what we call unholiness. That's separation from God. So the concept in Leviticus of holiness is all about separation, being separated from that and drawn into God. Holiness is being drawn into God himself. That's what true holiness is. It's not about what you do. It's about where you're located. Holiness in the Greek means two things. It means to be separated unto God, and it's the life that flows out of somebody that is in Christ. That's what holiness is. It's to be separated, brought into him, and then the life that flows out of us as a result. That's what holiness is. The religious makes holiness about living without sin. And as I said before, God's priority is not to get you to live without sin. His priority is to get you to live within. Did you hear that? To live within. Now, the word holiness, don't forget this. It comes from the same root word as wholeness. He draws me into himself. Holiness is wholeness. In fact, whenever you read the Bible, you can legally, faithfully swap the word holiness to wholeness. Be whole as I am whole. Come into wholeness and wholeness will flow out of you. See, it's not about avoiding sin. It's about coming within him and then letting his wholeness flow out of you. This is what's on the mind of Jesus. As he is the great high priest, he is praying for a broken church to become whole. He's praying for us to come into the one who is whole, to be made whole, and then for wholeness to flow out. Much of the behavior of many believers is broken. Attention-seeking, depression, having to be noticed. It's out of brokenness. You come into a whole God and he makes you whole. You don't need man's recognition. It's nice to be loved, but you don't, you don't need it because you've been made whole. So he looks at our, our brokenness, he says, be holy, you will be whole. This is the desire of God's heart, to be whole. Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy as I am holy. So we read that, be holy as I am holy, and we see that as a commandment. You must be holy, like a cantankerous God. You will be holy. It's not a commandment, it's a promise. Why do we always twist scripture and make something that we... He says, be holy, not do holy. Be holy. Why do we take that commandment and make it something that we have to do? Well, that church is very holy. That's a holy person. No, holiness is something that says you be holy. You come into me because this is the thing about God is there's no agendas, there's no brokenness, no tantrums. He's completely holy, self-sustaining, full of love, Absolutely perfect. His character is, is, is perfection. In fact, you know what? The thing that man longs for more than anything else, listen to me, is wholeness. Yeah. Is wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians says, May the Lord sanctify you and make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. To be whole in my spirit. To be whole in my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. To, to find wholeness in my body, 
healing, divine health. This is the cry of man's heart. As we come into him, he makes us holy. He makes us whole. See, what you need is not another motorbike, another car, a bigger house, another wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. What you need is to be whole. This is what's on the mind of Jesus. He's presenting you before the Father and he's praying for wholeness. Well, that's great. But remember I said at the start that yes and amen. Jesus is saying, Father, I died. Remember, I died. He's not trying to convince Father. He's, he's reminding. He's working with Father. My blood was shed for John's wholeness. Remember that. And, and that, that turban, that gold plate over my head, be holy as I am holy. This is the cry of your heart that your people would experience wholeness like you do. This is what he's praying for today. So when we jump in, Amos 3.3, two can't walk together unless they're in agreement. See, when you're saying you're praying prayers like I'm all broken, oh, I'm depressed, oh, I'm this, I'm that. When you're doing that, there's no, there's no agreement in heaven and earth, on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is praying a prayer that often the church is praying against. He's the high priest of our confession. We join with him, yes and amen, and that power of prayer goes off. The moment you say, God, your desire is for my wholeness. Jesus, you died on the cross for my wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. I think, just a little thought, that many Christians are seeing the numbers 1111 over and over on their clocks, everywhere they go. And 1111, part of that thought behind it is God's desire to bring people into alignment. 12 is the number of government, 11 is one short. It's aligning people to get into a place where true authority can flow. Authority flows out of wholeness. If you're broken, disjointed, your mind's all over the place, there's no authority in your voice. The moment wholeness begins to flow through, to the degree that you are whole, to the degree you are powerful. Be holy as I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So what does that mean? If you're not holy and perfect, no one's going to see God. You'll never see him. Now, I think it's saying this. Follow peace with all men and pursue wholeness. And the more whole you are, the more people will see God in you. The pursuit of the church is wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. We worship the Lord in the beauty of his wholeness. So I want to make this incredibly practical for you. As you worship the Lord this week, first, thank him. My names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're engraved on your shoulders. It's your strength that keeps me saved. Your strength. I'm secure in you. Good day, bad day. I am loved by God. Song of Solomon says, I'm dark but lovely. That's what it says. Dark but lovely. Bad but good. Make mistakes, but deeply loved. Flawed, but righteous. That's why we see these, these analogies in the Bible. So you're perfect, but then you've got to work out your salvation. Your standing is perfect. Now let's begin to grow into all that God has made us to be. So this week, as you pray, thank him. I am cleansed and forgiven and perfect. And then secondly, think about the second aspect of the high priest's garment. Your desire for me is wholeness. You said to be whole as I am whole. And the more you spend time with God, the more you realize how beautiful and perfect and loving 
and kind he is. As you read the Bible, the more you see the nature of God to love and bless his people. Lord, let that wholeness, because I'm in you, let that wholeness come into me and flow out of me. This world doesn't need more broken people. It needs whole people. I want to experience your wholeness. You said, be holy as I am holy, so make me whole. And so I picture the Father, Son, and Spirit coming into my spirit. I actually welcome them each day. You are welcome to come. Spirit to spirit, speak to me. You're welcome to come into my soul life, my mind, my will, my emotions. And I think about all those aspects. Let your wholeness wash over. Lord, I reacted today like that. I made that choice. I've had this mindset. Let your wholeness come and minister to that. Invite him in. Then, then my body, let your wholeness come to my body. May I make right choices. May my body function the way it should. Be holy as I am holy. And that's what Jesus is praying today for every believer today. He's praying for your wholeness and he's praying for your security. Amen? So why don't you lift up your hands today if you're comfortable doing that. But we receive you today, Lord, in your ministry as the great high priest. You are not sitting in heaven doing nothing. You are praying on our behalf. You are interceding on our behalf. You are the good shepherd. You are the faithful intercessor. You're the advocate before us to the Father. You represent us every day. And so we join our voices with you in agreement. And you said, Lord, where there are two agreeing, it's done. And so we, we agree with you about what you are doing in our life. Let it be to us, O oh God. We thank you for that today. I'm praying today, Lord, for those listening on the podcast, live stream, YouTube, whatever forum, those in the congregation today that have never made a decision to follow you. Lord, I pray for them today that they would surrender their lives to a loving Father. And if you've never done that, you can ask Jesus into your life. You can ask him to forgive you. You receive his forgiveness. You can ask him to make you a new creation. Ask him to come and make his home in your heart. The Bible says if we confess that we've sinned and we need his forgiveness, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us and He will make us righteous. If you can hear my voice, you can do that. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You just have to pray. It's the prayer of faith that saves a man or woman. Believe in Him. Believe that the whole point of the cross was for you. God was pursuing you. So we ask, Father, now in the name of Jesus, for salvation wherever the sound of my voice is heard. Not just this day, but even in the days to come as people listen to this message, salvation would come. And I pray for every believer that has heard this message, that their faith in the great high priest would be elevated today. They would see that they are secure, and they will see that their wholeness has been won at Calvary, and that you are praying today that we would be secure and that we would be whole. And we thank you for that, Lord. I break every lie of the enemy, every accusing lie, every work of the enemy. And I speak salvation and wholeness to God's people.